hopeless in the blood. There's future grace that's mine today that Jesus Christ has won. So I can face tomorrow, for tomorrow's in your hands. You've already won No matter what comes my way I will overcome Don't know what you're doing But I know what you love I'm fighting a battle You've already won We will be with you 
See, most of you remember to set your clocks <laughs> forward. I didn't enjoy that at all. Welcome, though. We're so glad you, you could make it out this morning. I have a few announcements to go over this morning. First of all, I'd encourage you, if you're a first-time visitor, to uh, fill out one of our Let's Connect cards uh, and let us know a little bit about yourselves, okay? And then uh, you can drop this in the offering plate as it comes around, or there is a box back on the sound booth back there for these Let's Connect. Also, it's a very good way to communicate to your pastors and deacons if or if you have any prayer requests. So uh, take a moment to fill that out and drop, drop it in the, in, in the box. Spartan Nash Receipt Program has been canceled. Uh, and so WBC is no longer collecting receipts. I think that was announced last week, but it's just a reminder this week. WBC Family Cookbook. Today is the last day to submit any recipes. The Women's Ministry encouraging everyone to submit your favorite recipe uh, in the collection box for those are located back at the kiosk. All recipes must be submitted by March the 12th. In your bulletins, I think they were passed out this morning as we came in, was a mission trip survey. And I saw, I saw Bonnie putting those in uh, each one of the, uh, your bulletins as you came in this morning. So they're asking the congregation to fill out a brief opinion survey on mission trips. This short survey uh, was given with the bulletin. And then please return the survey in the offering plate or des design box on uh, the designated box on the kiosk back there okay Detroit Tigers home plate June 10th events springs just around the corner we're gonna be watching baseball again okay uh, June the 10th events start at 9 30 a.m. game is at 110 if you'd like to attend the cost is $35 per person the monies are due by April the 2nd if you would like more information regarding transportation uh, and the event coming, or more information is coming about how we're going to get down there and, and about the event coming up. Also, this one, uh, important, uh, uh, Whitneyville Bible Church Vacation Bible School 2023. Keepers of the Kingdom is going to be the theme for that this year. And it's June 19th through the 23rd. Uh, we are still in need of a few people to help with security, which is to simply walk around and keep an eye on things. I'd be pretty good at that. I can <laughs> maybe not keep an eye on things, but walking around. It. And uh, please, uh, if you could do that, uh, sign up at the kiosk if you're interested or would like more info. Just see Deb Wazinski with any questions that you might have uh, about that. And so with that... 
this is, I'm going to hold this up. This is the Congregational Survey mission trip. This is what it looks like. Okay, so, and our passage today is found in 1 Timothy. If you'll join me in God's word, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12, it says, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou also art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness in allowing us to gather here again this morning in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, our King, our Savior. And Father, we're so grateful that you grace us with your presence this morning. Father, I just pray that you would be, uh, everyone here has come seeking your blessing this morning. Father, we have some folks that we'd raise up to you. We, we pray again for little Anna Grison. Uh, she's going to have a PET scan and a, a bone marrow biopsy. And Father, we just pray that you would be in the midst of that, 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 that everything would just be, be perfect for our little Anna. Be in prayer for the family, and, and we pray for them as well as they await these tests and the, and the, the anxiety that they might have in, in waiting for those. So just give them comfort, God, that only comes from you. We pray for Deb's mom, uh, Barb Davis. Father, just be with her. Uh, she, uh, her pain seems to be less, but the dementia seems to have progressed, and she's agitated. And Father, just be with her and touch her, God, and give her peace and quietness, and give the family peace and quietness, God. We pray for Dave and Dory's niece. She's been diagnosed with cancer, and this is, this is hard news to take, God, but we just raise her up to you. She's had a little baby, the baby's doing good, and we just pray for, for this little one. And God, just be in the midst of that family and meet their every need, we pray. Father, we thank you for our congregation, uh, congregational care team, uh, <coughs> the deacons and Pastor David, Tanner, that provide insight for uh, those who might not be able to attend church on a regular basis, those that might need food, those that might need uh, comfort in any way, God, and we just um, pray for, for them, that they would be encouraged and that you would give them the, the means to carry this ministry out. <coughs> Father, we pray for our Keys for Kids Ministries, and uh, they, they, they're standing on the foundation of God's Word. They provide an answer to the demand for biblical disciple-making material. It's so important for us to disciple our children and get them into your word, God. And so I just raise that ministry up to you, God. Just be with them in every way and meet their, meet their needs as well. We pray for our missionaries, Nate and Kristen Muse, who serve in Sydney, Australia. Their children, Jack and Alistair. Uh, the cost of living for them has, has skyrocketed there. And God, we just ask that you would make every provision for them, that you would meet their needs so that they might continue the great work of sharing the gospel in Australia. 
So, Father, we just raise them up to you as well. Father, we especially pray this morning uh, for our family of the week, Fred and Melinda Brown. We just thank you, God, for, um, for them and their, their, their uh, ministries here that they, that they do. And, God, we just raise them up to you this week. May we, as a church, uh, find them this morning and, and just love on them as our family of the week. There's many others, Father, that are suffering from uh, illnesses, infirmities of the body. And Father, we raise them up to as well, those that are close to our hearts. Father, as we give back now a portion of that which you have so generously given to us, I just pray that we would do it with a glad heart, that we would do it uh, bountifully the way that you have given to us, God, and that you would bless it, that you would multiply it, and that you would use it to, to further the gospel here in this community and around the world. So, Father, we just ask your blessing on that in this time that we have together this morning. And we ask it in Jesus' most holy name and for his sake. Amen.
cross as you wait for the crown. Tell the world of the treasure you found. Jesus is calling you.
All right. Very good. Thank you, worship team. Thanks for leading us this morning in praise and worship. Boys and girls, you are dismissed uh, to Bible Blast. A couple things I want to mention as you're turning to Jude, the New Testament Jude, once again. Continue our uh, series, our sermon series, Sound the Alarm. As you're turning to that book, to Jude, want to remind you that just three weeks we begin our celebration of what we call Holy Week. Three weeks we will begin with uh, Palm Sunday, and then later that week on Thursday, typically called Maundy Thursday, and then Good Friday, uh, Fernando Naranjo will be with us once again. Some of you will remember him from our missions conference this last uh, September. He did a wonderful presentation on Galilean wedding and the symbolism that's in that. Uh, so powerful, his presentation. But he's going to be here on Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday. So I want you to make sure you save those dates on your calendar. We'll be sharing some more information about what he's going to be doing but it will be just as powerful and just as significant. One of those nights, he's going to actually walk us through an actual Jewish Seder dinner and explain the symbolism of that. You won't want to miss those things. And then the day before Palm Sunday, Saturday, we have the Easter egg hunt, and I think you've seen the announcements about that. Bring in the candy. Let's have a great impact on our community with that. And then, of course, on Easter Sunday morning, we will not have Sunday school that day, but we'll have breakfast together, and uh, we'll have... A wonderful celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So make sure you get all those things done on your calendar. I want to make sure you're thinking about that. And then I just would like to add my comments about the congregational survey, the missions trip survey that you received. I'd like to ask every one of you that are here to take the time to fill this out today. We really want to hear you, uh, hear from you about this. And you just see the, the very, it's going to take you just a few moments to fill it out. If you have a a ministry location based on our missionaries that we support, or maybe some other opportunity that you're aware of, uh, you'd like to draw the missions team uh, their attention to that, write that on here. Uh, if you aren't interested in a mission team, we'd like to know that. We'd like to know who would and who wouldn't. And put that down. Uh, if we had a trip offered even this summer, would you be willing to participate in that? Uh, and if you're part of a team, uh, are you able to fund or support your own expenses, yes or no? Uh, and then, if no, are you able to partially assist in that way? And then, uh, interested in helping to fund a team member? Maybe you can't go, but maybe you would have resources you could put toward helping somebody else go. And then, if you were part of a team, what areas of ministry service do you see yourself being involved in? Teaching, uh, child care, maybe you have building skills, or maybe you have IT skills, or all kinds of different, whatever you might imagine, and maybe you say, this is what I can do. I don't even know if that would be something that could be used, but this is what I could do. I want to encourage every one of you to take the time to fill this out before you leave. And uh, we've already passed the offering plate, so you can't put it in there, but please stop by the, the kiosk out here and put your, uh, your survey in there. And what we will do then very soon is probably have a meeting to help you understand different opportunities that we have in the next uh, while that we're looking at. We've had invitations to go to Kodiak Island to work with the Overbeaks. That looks like probably next summer. 
and then also Fred Mukumbu. Fred was with us last summer, and uh, we were just so encouraged by him and the work that he's doing just outside of Nairobi, Kenya. And uh, he's chomping at the bit for us to send a team over to Kenya. And so again, it looks like we would be doing that sometime next year. And then we even have some potential uh, possibilities for uh, outreach trips even this summer yet. So if you will be calling all the people are interested, whatever level of interest. I've never gone on a trip. I just like to ask questions and learn about it to people who are veterans and like, yep, yeah, let's go. I'm ready to take the mountain again. All and in between, we'd gather you together and have some conversations about what that would look like. All starts with that questionnaire. All right, I think that's Oh, I do have one other important announcement. One other very important announcement. One of our members has not been able to be with us now for several weeks. She had a little accident. She hurt herself and had been laid up at home and spending a lot of time just sitting at home, not something she's used to doing. And here she is today. Helena Dykhaus is with us. Everybody, welcome Helena. We're so glad to see you, Helena, and glad you're doing better. We love you so much. Thanks for being here. All right, if you have your Bible, we're going to read through the letter to Jude, from Jude that he the letter from Jude once again this morning, and to try to experience it as the people that received it would have when he first sent this out. Here's God's word: Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who are the called, loved by God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy. Peace and love be multiplied to you. Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. It was delivered to the saints once for all. For some people who were designated for this judgment long ago have come in by stealth. They are ungodly, turning the grace of our God into sensuality, and denying Jesus Christ, our only Master and Lord. I want to remind you, although you came to know all these things once and for all, that Jesus saved the people out of Egypt and later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their own position but abandoned their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains and deep darkness for the judgment on the great day. Likewise, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns committed sexual immorality and perversions and serve as an example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. In the same way, these people, relying on the dreams, defile their flesh, reject authority, and slander glorious ones. Yet when Michael the archangel was disputing the devil, disputing with the devil in an argument about Moses' body, he did not dare utter a slanderous condemnation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme anything they do not understand. And what they do understand by instinct, like irrational animals, by these things they are destroyed. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, have plunged into Balaam's error for profit, and have perished in Korah's rebellion. These people... There are dangerous reefs at your love feasts as they eat uh, with you without reverence. 
They are shepherds who only look after themselves. They are waterless clouds carried along by winds, trees in late autumn, fruitless, twice dead and uprooted. They are wild waves of the sea foaming up their shameful deeds, wandering stars for whom the blackness of darkness is reserved forever. It was about these that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, Look, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly concerning all the ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way and concerning all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against him. These people are discontented grumblers living according to their, to their desires. Their mouths utter arrogant words of flattering people for their own advantage. But you, dear friends, remember what was predicted by the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ. They told you, in the end time, there will be scoffers living according to their own ungodly desires. These people create divisions and are worldly, not having the spirit. But you, dear friends, as you build yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Have mercy on those who waver, save others by snatching them from the fire. Have mercy on others, but with fear, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. And so, dear Father, today we find ourselves in the same passage of Scripture once again. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to dig into these words and to learn from them, that you would guide us and teach us and direct us, Lord, into truth. Lord, this servant is feeble and weak, yet you, Holy Spirit, and your word, O God, are powerful to the breaking down of strongholds. And so, Lord, we ask for you, through the authority of your word, and you, Holy Spirit, to guide us into truth now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Counterfeits. Uh, they abound. Let me stop and think about it. Counterfeit cash, uh, art forgeries, forged signatures, even fake jewelry. Uh, experts agree Although there is a certain value in learning the techniques of forgers and counterfeits, the best way to recognize a fake is to become intimately acquainted with the genuine article. This is true in the world of banking and finance, in the art world, and in the world of fine jewelry. For example, the agents of the United States Secret Service and the FBI are specifically trained to be able to identify forgeries of U.S. currency by painstakingly studying and becoming acquainted with authentic legal tender. In fact, both 
of those divisions of government. The Secret Service and the FBI have divisions that are dedicated just to this very thing. The same thing is true in the spiritual realm as well. The only way to guarantee that we will know and recognize heresy and false doctrine is to become so intimately acquainted with the truth, the truth of God's word, the Bible, that any fake, forgery, counterfeit will be obvious. Unless you think this is not really a matter of concern, uh, I need to tell you that it is a matter of grave concern facing the Western church today. Heresies, false doctrine, and counterfeit teaching and spiritual pretenders abound. And they are attacking the church of the Lord Jesus Christ like never before. Here are a few examples. There are those who claim to be preachers and teachers of the church of Jesus Christ who say there's no such thing as hell. No, no. Just metaphorical language. Jesus is trying to scare people when we talked about hell. Uh, They teach what we would call annihilism, that when you die, you die, and that's it. There's nothing left. You just got to make the best of this life now. Leave a good imprint when you leave. Others believe in what's called universalism. You know, love wins. Yeah, just love everybody and everything's going to be fine. And eventually, even in the life after, everybody's going to be saved because love wins. Well, guess what? That's a lie from hell. Then there's the LGBTQ plus agenda. I think I mentioned this a couple a week or so ago. I believe this is the new Caesar in facing the American church today. Back in the first century, Christians were required to say Caesar is Lord. And if they wouldn't do it, they were executed, thrown to the lions or crucified or put in a fire. And today, this agenda, the LGBTQ plus agenda, is being forced upon the church. I'm not going to mention him or his church by name, but a so-called youth pastor from a church in Concord, New Hampshire, is promoting, nationally, is promoting his ministry as LGBTQ accepting and affirming. In other words, he's welcoming the, this community to his youth ministry and wants them to know it's okay to be that way. Don't worry about it here. Uh, Dwayne and I were talking last week, and he shared uh, a video. I watched several videos, actually. Uh, the Anglican Church, which comes under the umbrella of the Church of England, and so does the Episcopal Church here in the United States. The Anglican Church... The nationwide, uh, international Anglican church community is fighting the Church of England over this very issue. They have a very clear and obvious understanding of Scripture that this lifestyle is forbidden. And yet the Church of England is wanting to embrace it and excuse it and grant permission for people to be living this way. It's, going to, it's a fault line within that group. I could go on. There is the Marxist critical race theory You hear a lot about it uh, related to education today in both our elementary, middle school, high school, and collegiate and university level education, but it's permeating the church. It's not only accepted and affirmed in so-called evangelical churches, it is aggressively promoted and endorsed by prominent voices and personalities within the Southern Baptist Convention. 
and other mainline denominations. Another one, revival. Revival, biblical revival is being reduced to nothing more than ecstatic emotionalism. And on and on it goes. And many, most, uh, perhaps within the church today, just go right along. Here's a contrast I'd like you to consider. Here's a quote from so-called Pastor Joel Osteen. Stop looking at your weakness and start declaring the power of I am. Say, I am strong. I am healthy. I am blessed. I am beautiful. I am prosperous. What impious nonsense. What blasphemy. What sacrilege. Contrast that with what the Apostle Paul said. Speaking of the Lord, he, he, he goes on in his second letter to the Corinthians, he said, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Paul goes on to say, therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Many of you are familiar with the teaching and ministry of Vodibacham. He puts it like this. If we don't know the Bible, if we don't know doctrine, if we don't know theology, it is virtually impossible for us to identify false prophets. He is spot on. John MacArthur, pastor of Grace Community Church in California, says, false shepherds talk much about God's love, but not his wrath and holiness. Much about how deprived of good things people are, but not about their depravity. Uh, much about what God wants to give us, but Nothing about the necessity of obedience to him. Much about health and happiness, but nothing about holiness and sacrifice. This indeed is a tragedy of the American church. These soothsayers, these pretenders, these make-believers have infiltrated the church of Jesus Christ and spew their venomous counterfeit spirituality. Many are drawn into the falsehood that they proclaim to their eternal peril. It's not just pastors either. In church after church, congregation after congregation, people have bought the cheap imitations of these frauds and are unwittingly, or maybe even wittingly, I suppose, ambassadors and purveyors of this spiritual nonsense. It is for this very reason Jude wrote his letter. To call out these fakes 
issuing a warning to true believers and call the church of Jesus Christ to do battle and to stand for the truth of God's word without apology or pause. We saw how he appealed to us to contend for the faith. He told us this was critically necessary because there are those who have wormed their way into the church, perpetrating ungodliness by turning God's grace into an excuse for sexual immorality and sensuality and by denying the supreme and preeminent authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Last time in this series, Jude took pains to describe these counterfeits in great detail. They are belligerent unbelievers. They are arrogant rebels. They are disobedient, greedy, defiant, and more. And today, we will continue examining Jude's expose of these false influencers. So we carry the same big idea that we had last week into today's message, aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. Jude wants us to know who our enemy is, what they're like, what their tactics are, because if we don't, we're going to fall victim to their work. You see there at uh, verse 5, he says, I want to remind you, you came to know these things once and for all. So the things that he's telling us about in his letter are not new things. These are things that they know, that they have been instructed about, that if they would be students of God's word, they would know these things. And he's saying that if you know these things, these false teachers will be obvious to you. So if we do... uh, as Jude is telling us, uh, this, this stuff that I've just referred to in our own time, in our own culture, in our own church situation in the West today, we would know it. If we take the time to know God's Word, we'll be able to identify heresy and false teaching and those who try to sell it to the people of God. And as we begin our examination of our text today, we're going to be looking at the next set of verses, verses 12 to 16. Let me say that you won't find anywhere language more vivid, more graphic, more dramatic, and more frightening than the descriptions of these apostate pretenders Jude describes. What a picture we have before us in Jude's letter of those who have fallen from the faith. So you're going to see he's going to describe those who have fallen from the faith. First off, he says those who have fallen from the faith cause spiritual shipwreck for others. See that there in verse 12. It says these people are dangerous reefs. The picture that Jude uses here is of hidden reefs or rocks which have the potential to wreck a ship. Uh, Mariners who are unaware of the hidden rocks can quickly and quite easily wreck uh, their ship. Mindful of the story of the Titanic. It wasn't a rock, but it was a, a... an iceberg that they uh, failed to pay attention to, and you know the story, tragic. So the pilot of a ship must always be alert since the waters that may look calm and safe could actually contain treacherous reefs or rocks. Years ago, when we were on the pastoral staff at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Mount Vernon, Washington, we had a man in our congregation, his name was Mr. William He said, call me Bill, Mr. William Bill Grobschmidt. 
Uh, he was in our church, and he was a pilot for the port of Seattle. Uh, his job was to carefully and properly guide the large ships in and out of the port of Seattle. I suppose in his generation there was nobody that knew that port better than Bill. He was a fascinating man. He had many fascinating stories that he had acquired over the years. But basically, at a certain point, when the large cargo ships were entering or later exiting the port, he would actually come on board those ships and then safely guide those large vessels into or out of the port of Seattle. Jude is serving in that capacity to his readers on a spiritual level. Like Mr. Grobschmidt Jude is trying to safely guide his readers away from spiritual threats that can wreck faith. Spiritual leaders must constantly be on guard against hidden and subversive threats to the faith and to the people of God. Like we said in the very beginning message, I wish it wasn't so. I wish we didn't have to talk about these things. But unfortunately, in the sinful world that we live in, it's a necessity So the Apostle Paul used this imagery to illustrate shipwrecked faith, and he actually calls out two men by name who evidently succumbed to the destruction of their faith. In his first letter to his young pastoral protege, Timothy, 1 Timothy 1, 18 to 20, he says, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you. So that by recalling them, you may fight the good fight. Sounds very similar to what Jude is saying, doesn't it? Having faith and a good conscience, which, he goes on to say, which some have rejected and have shipwrecked the faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered to Satan, so that they may be taught not to blaspheme. Can you imagine having your name eternally preserved in Scripture? For shipwrecking your faith and having your conscience destroyed? Hmm. So these pretenders that Jude is talking about, they were dangerous reefs who were wreaking havoc, he says, at the love feasts. The love feasts, as Jude refers to them here, were held in the early church before the observance of what we would call the Lord's Supper. The love feasts were a time of fellowship when believers brought food and shared a meal together. That was the intent. Obviously, the poor could not bring much, only a little, but it was a time of sharing what they had. The apostates came in with their ravenous appetites, and they would eat more than anyone else. The text says that this is the way they treated the meal and the celebration of the Lord's Supper without reverence. That means that these false influencers did not recognize the terror of the Lord against those who do not use discernment when approaching the Lord's Supper. This description brings to mind the presence of Judas at the Last Supper. How irreverent and treacherous he was to our Lord Jesus. These spiritual counterfeits, Jude references, were cut out of that same cloth. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven to 32 
So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. In this way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever drinks and drink, whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. If we were properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. These in Jude's audience, these pretenders, didn't heed that warning. Hebrews 10, 26 to 31, For if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire about to consume the adversaries. Anyone who disregarded the law of Moses died without mercy based on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think one will deserve who has trampled on the Son of God who has regarded as profane the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know the one who has said, Vengeance belongs to me, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Jude goes on. Those who have fallen from the faith also neglect the oversight of God's people. The second part of verse 12, they are shepherds who only look after themselves. This is a pretty pathetic image when you stop to think about it. If you know anything about sheep, you know the sheep are lost without a shepherd. They cannot fend for themselves and they only get into trouble and fall into danger when left to themselves. Sheep need a shepherd who will guard, guide, and nurture them. This is why our Lord Jesus is called the shepherd. This is why he's called the good shepherd. This is why he's called the, the, the chief shepherd and the great shepherd. The elders of the Lord Jesus' church are synonymously called pastors. That's the Greek word for shepherd. Pastor elders are to be under shepherds of the Lord Jesus Christ. These fakes that Jude speaks of tried to have influence over the flock of God, but were only concerned about using the people to satisfy themselves. They were full of self, not full of genuine care for the people. Depending on your translation, it may read similarly to the CSB that I'm reading from today. They are shepherds who only look after themselves. Or it may read like the New American Standard, they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves. Or the ESV, they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves. That's a very good translation of the original. The word shepherd is actually a verb in the original language which describes the responsibility of the shepherd to feed and tend the flock. And that is why the CSB and the ESV try to bring the full range of that meaning into their translations. A shepherd feeds and tends his flock. They are his first priority. I could say they are his first and only priority when the shepherd is on duty. 
not running out to a sumptuous feast to stuff his own face to, neglect, to the neglect of the sheep. This striking metaphor draws our attention to many biblical warnings against false shepherds who care nothing for the flock but only for themselves. Ezekiel 34, 2 and verse 10. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them. Now he's not speaking of the guys who are actually out on the hillside tending sheep. He's talking about the spiritual overseers, the people who have spiritual responsibility over the nation of Israel. He says, prophesy and say to them, Ezekiel, this is what the Lord God says to the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Shouldn't the shepherds feed their flock? In verse 10, the shepherds will no longer feed themselves, for I will rescue my flock from their mouths, so they will not be food for them. You hear what the, what the Lord is saying through Ezekiel? Not only were they, these false shepherds in Israel concerned about themselves, they were actually ravenously eating the sheep, so to speak. God is not pleased. In John 10, verses 12 to 13, the Lord Jesus draws on the same uh, imagery. He says, the hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he's a hired hand. He doesn't care about the sheep. These are stern warnings for those who desire to have influence over the flock of God, whether they're pastors or otherwise. Jude continues, those who have fallen from the faith also make empty promises. Look at there toward the middle of verse 12, they are waterless clouds carried along by the wind. Clouds that promise rain but fail to produce are a disappointment to a farmer whose crops desperately need water. Spiritual frauds harassing Jude's readers are like pretty fluffy clouds that drift across the sky without giving any refreshment to the earth. They have nothing of true spiritual substance to offer a thirsting soul. Oh, they look like people who can give spiritual help. They might have slick suits and fancy haircuts and beautiful lights and screens and big bands and all the, oh my. They boast of their abilities, but they are unable to produce. I want you to contrast these frauds with Paul's encouragement to the Ephesian church in Ephesians 4, 14 and 15. No longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ, that make believers are exactly what Paul was warning against. Those apostates have turned heresy into an Olympic sport. They're blown along by every current theological fad and trend and try to bring as many along with them as they possibly can. Unfortunately, too many do come right along with them. All of them have forsaken the faith that was delivered to the saints once and for all that we read about in Jude 1.3. Like the clouds of the sky, these false teachers may be prominent and even attractive, but if they cannot bring rain, they are useless. Jude presses his case. 
those who have fallen from the faith produce spiritual famine. If you're paying attention, you will notice that there's a point missing between the second and the third one that I just mentioned. There's actually my mistake for not including that one I just shared with you in the notes. But here, produce these, these who have fallen from the faith produce a spiritual famine. Look at the end of verse 12. They're trees in late autumn, fruitless, twice dead, and uprooted. Like fruit trees in late autumn, long past the harvest, these frauds bear no fruit. In addition, they are trees, not only fruitless trees, but also uprooted trees. That's why they're described as being twice dead. Maybe remember the words of warning from our Lord Jesus in Matthew 7, starting in verse 15. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the, sa- in the same way, every good tree produces good fruit. But a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. Neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so you'll recognize them by their fruit or the lack of it. No fruit. These flawed influencers are incapable of nourishing a soul's deepest hunger. D.L. Moody made a very interesting observation. He said, when a man is born once, he will have to die twice. And when a man is born twice, he will only have to die once. These pretenders in that first group, Jude says that these phonies are spiritually dead, still dead in their trespasses and sins, and yet here they are trying to influence others. Here they are trying to influence the church of Jesus Christ. What A ridiculous tragedy. You see, those who genuinely and faithfully teach and preach the word have the responsibility of feeding others, but the false teachers have nothing to give. Not really. They're fruitless and rootless. They stand in stark contrast to that man of Psalm 1-3 that we recently read about. Jude doesn't let up. Those who have fallen from the faith flaunt their unrighteousness. Look at verse 13. They are wild waves of the sea foaming up their shameful deeds. If you've ever been to the seashore, you know exactly what Jude is describing. And if you've ever been to the seashore after a storm, you particularly understand what he is describing. Now in our modern era, The sea, the ocean, is often a thing of beauty and grandeur, certainly something to be contended with. But to the ancients, it was much more formidable than it it is even to us, and they were less able to deal with the sea's fury. 
It was a terror to them. And that is perhaps why Jude uses this vivid imagery right here in verse 13. Wild waves of the sea foaming up. Isaiah 57.20, the wicked are like the storm-tossed sea, for it cannot be still, and its water churns up mire and muck. Someone has said of these fakes uh, that they're urged on by their restless passions. They unblushingly exhibit in word and deed their base and abandoned spirit. The error mongers that Jude speaks of are busy, restless, untamed. Their influence is like the foam or scum at the seashore. True teachers of the word of God bring up the treasures of the deep. But these self-impressed counterfeits only produce refuse. Like the swelling sea, they make a lot of noise but they should be ashamed of the things that they boast about. In Philippians 3.19, Paul is speaking of other enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. He says, their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame and they are focused on earthly things. Jude persists in his expose of these pretenders. Those who have fallen from the faith follow no, more, no meaningful course of life. Look at the second part of verse 13. It says, they're wandering stars, or whom the blackness of darkness is reserved forever. Jude uses yet another vivid word picture to describe and illustrate the nature and the character and the influence and the destiny of of the flawed phonies who teach heresy. Think about shooting stars with me for a minute. They're a mere flash which shines briefly and then vanishes away without producing any meaningful or helpful light or giving any meaningful direction. A flash, a fury, and then poof, they're gone. Perhaps they're a bit of a short-lived spectacle, but that's it. Nothing more. They're unfit for spiritual life navigation. These shooting stars Jude speaks of, they may lead others astray, but eventually they will disappear into the darkness of judgment, he says. So it is with these false heretical teachers and influencers, they may be a spectacle at first, but they quickly demonstrate that they are not fit to lead or guide anyone. They are useless and untrustworthy, so beware of following a falling star. I, uh, it will lead you into eternal blackness. But the make-believers are eternally doomed in the blackness of darkness speaks of their judgment. It's a picture of hell. This statement sets up the next two verses as Jude amplifies his thought here in verse 13. Those who have fallen from the faith face certain death. Look at verses 14 and 15. It was about these that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, Look, 
The Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly concerning all the ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way and concerning all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against him. Now, I just want to say something here. All that we know about Enoch uh, from Scripture is found in Genesis chapter 5, Hebrews 11, 5, and then these two verses right here in Jude. He's called the seventh generation from Adam. And he's described that way, I believe, so that he could be identified as the godly Enoch of Old Testament history in order to distinguish him from Cain's son who had the same name. In a society that was rapidly being polluted and destroyed by sin, Enoch walked with God and kept his life clean. He also ministered as a prophet and announced the coming judgment. This announcement was probably a multi-layer prophecy speaking of the coming judgment of the flood and also the judgment of the end times. The application of this reference Jude shares is to the world in the end times. It's the very same judgment that Paul, uh, Peter rather wrote about in 2 Peter chapter 3. The false teachers mocked this prophecy and they argued that Jesus Christ would never come and God would never send judgment. However, their very attitude was proof that the word is true. Because both our Lord and his apostles, as well as the prophets, said that scoffers and mockers would appear more and more frequently in the last days. Warren Wearsby makes a very interesting set of observations about this summary statement we just read in verses 14 and 15 that Jude shares from the uh, apocryphal book, the book of Enoch. Notice as Wearsby says, the coming judgment is personal. God himself will come to judge the world. The coming judgment is universal. God's judgment is meted out to all the ungodly. None will escape. The coming judgment will be just. It will conform to God's righteous standard and uh, the righteous Son of God will preside over the proceedings. There will be a judge, Jesus Christ, no jury. There will be prosecution, but no defense. And there will be a sentence, but no appeal. Now, further word, if I may, about these two verses. In quoting or summarizing the book of Enoch, Jude does not call or refer to this information as Scripture. Uh, Paul also quoted from non-canonical writers in statements that he used as illustrations too. And Jude finds Enoch's prophecy as a fitting summary of the universal divine judgment awaiting these impious frauds. Notice that the emphasis of this example is on the devastating judgment to befall the apostates. Dear ones, listen, the first time Jesus came, he came as Savior. The next time he comes, he will be coming as judge. 
The scripture calls that a great and terrible day. When Jesus Christ returns to the earth, he is going to execute judgment. The Old Testament speaks of the Messiah coming as judge, not only over the nation of Israel, but over all the nations and all peoples. Deuteronomy, Daniel, Zechariah, all give testimony to that and others. Jesus Christ himself spoke of this in Matthew chapter 25. The New Testament writers spoke of this a couple years ago in First and Second Thessalonians. We read about it. The book of Revelation and others in the New Testament. And Jude details the basis for this judgment. Did you notice the use of the two words all and ungodly? All ungodly. And in the original text, those two words, all and ungodly, are always connected together. It's not exactly done that way in English, but he refers to all their ungodly character, all their ungodly acts, all their ungodly methods and motivations, all their ungodly words, particularly against the Lord. This word ungodly, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, it basically means to be godless. It is the idea of having no fear or reverence for God. It's one who actively practices the opposite of what the fear and reverence of God requires. Jude's summary statement is quite forceful. As we've already seen, these spiritual imposters disrespect and disregard the Lord Jesus Christ. The day is coming when they will not be able to ignore him any longer. What a sober and somber day that will be. If you take the end of verse 13 together with verses 14 and 15, they remind us of the destiny of the apostates. It's hell. One symbol or description that the Bible uses for hell is fire. Make no mistake, hell is a place of literal fire, especially created by God to burn but never consume its occupants, a place of eternal torment. Some have said, well, that can't be true because that's where spirits go. But I want to remind you what 1 Corinthians 15 tells us. Jesus Christ is the first fruits of all who will be resurrected. And Paul goes on to explain that some will have a resurrection unto righteousness and their body, their resurrected body, will be fit for that destiny. Others have a destiny of resurrection to damnation and their resurrected body will be equipped for their destiny. I believe that the devil and all of his demons will likewise be equipped with physical bodies of some sort to experience the eternal torment and punishment of hell. Another biblical symbol and description of hell is darkness. What a frightening image. Many of you, since childhood, have been afraid of the dark, and I don't make light of that at all. There will be no companionship in hell, but only 
utter darkness and torment. How terrible. How horrible. How tragic. How disastrous. All for the infatuation with false spirituality and a devastating influence over the souls of others. Jude shifts into high gear. Those who have fallen from the faith criticize, complain, and find fault. Look at the final verse of our passage this morning. In rapid fire succession, Jude goes on to further describe these problematic heretics. They are the opposite, the exact opposite of the spiritual instructors that they say they are, that they claim to be. Here is their next distinguishing characteristic in verse 16. These people are discontented grumblers. Discontented grumblers. Two Greek words. These two words describe a murmurer. Your translation may actually use that word. I know some do. It means to mutter under one's breath or to quietly in undertone speak to others. Mutter, mutter, murmur, murmur. The word grumblers is so specific a word that Jude uses here. It's not, it's, it's not used anywhere else in the entire New Testament. It's the only place that this Greek word occurs. This phrase discontented grumblers describes a disgruntled complaining person who finds fault with others and his circumstances the implication being that they don't get their own way so they fuss and grumble they're never satisfied they're never satisfied the verb tense describes a habitual attitude constantly criticizing characteristically complaining, forever finding fault. Warren Wearsby. If these false teachers can make a person critical of his pastor or church or dissatisfied with his situation, he then can lead them astray into false doctrine. A word to the wise is sufficient. Avoid these faulty individuals like the plague. Jude goes on, those who have fallen from the faith pursue sinful self-satisfaction. Again, verse 16, it says that they're living according to their desires. Now, I need to clarify this word desires is actually somewhat neutral as a word. That, that is, it describes uh, something that could be good or bad. It's not necessarily, you know, base and moral desires. The idea is that these pretenders pursue their desires and leave God out of it. They're bent on satisfying themselves. I find it interesting that even though they pursue their own self, uh, their own sinful self-satisfaction, as we just read a moment ago, they still are dissatisfied. That's what sin will do to a person. It will draw you in with all of its false promises, but it will leave a person wanting and discontented. Jude adds yet another dark characteristic to his checklist. Those who have fallen from the faith boast about themselves. Verse 16, their mouths utter arrogant words 
Literally, their mouths speak haughty or bombastic words. These people have three favorite subjects. Me, myself, and I. Uh, They are their own favorite topic of conversation. Just ask them. They'll be happy to tell you. After going on and on ad nauseum about themselves, they would say something to you like this. Enough about me. Now you tell me about me. (laughs) They have the answer for everything. They have the answer for everyone. They have to hear themselves above all others and expect everyone else to listen and agree with them. 2 Peter 2, verse 9, The Lord knows how to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, especially those who follow the polluting desires of the flesh and despise authority, bold, arrogant people they are not afraid to slander. Watch out. Watch out for people like these. Finally, Jude says, those who have fallen from the faith flatter, only, flatter others to only benefit themselves. The end of verse 16 says that they're flattering people for their own advantage. The King James says, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. Young's literal translation says, giving admiration to persons for the sake of profit. Another little rendering of the Greek could read, honoring faces for the sake of advantage. This honor is not sincere and genuine. It is calculated and manipulative. They are great at insincerely applauding others. They say a lot of things that aren't even necessarily true. Their objective is to use others to promote themselves and manipulate things for their own advantage. Why don't you think of two words for just a second? Flattery and gossip. Flattery and gossip. They're actually two sides of the same coin. Gossip. Gossip is what someone would say behind another person's back, but would never say to their face. Flattery, on the other hand, is what someone would say to another person's face, but would never say behind their back. Both flattery and gossip are wicked uses of the tongue, and the Bible repeatedly condemns both. Big idea. By the way, next week, things get better in Jude, all right? (laughs) The big idea, aim at nothing. You'll hit it every time. For 10 long, weary years, the Greeks laid siege to the city of Troy. But they did not make a dent in the fortifications of that city. It seemed impregnable, and they could not get an entrance into the city. Then a recommendation was put forward. The suggestion was to build a large wooden horse with an elite force of soldiers concealed inside 
leave that horse and those soldiers outside the gate and then pretend to sail away. So they made the wooden horse. The soldiers were indeed put inside and it was put at the city gate of Troy. As you can imagine, curiosity got the best of the Trojans and when they saw the Greeks sailing away, they thought, they thought the war was finally over. They went out, saw the horse, Decided, it, decided to pull it inside of the city. It certainly was a novelty, something very unique for them to have. That night, however, the soldiers who were on the inside climbed out, and they were able to unlock the gates of the city from the inside. In the meantime, under the cover of darkness, the fleet of Greek, Greek ships returned. They had only pretended to sail away. What an entire army of mighty men could not do from the outside in 10 years. A few soldiers did inside in one night. And so it is with the church today, dear ones. The church has those who have infiltrated and now are on the inside. And the church is being betrayed and overtaken today by the ones who have gotten in by the side door, if I can put it that way. The church must know the word so that they can know the enemy and then stand firm and contend for the faith. Let's pray. And so, dear Father, today... Would you help us to be those who truly do contend for the faith? As we've said before, not who are contentious, but know the faith. They know the truth of your word and they stand in the knowledge of your word with a spirit of great conviction and have the courage and the boldness to speak with truth and grace and even mercy to those who have fallen victim to the wiles of these pretenders. Help us to be able to know your word so we can discern the truth from error. Would you also, Lord, give us the courage the same courage and the same grace and the same spirit of truth and mercy to even speak to the make-believers among and around us in the church today. Oh God, would you help us to be faithful and true, strong to the end, even in the face of fierce battle. And oh God, would you please use us, use me, the Whitneyville Bible Church family and those who join us uh, over our live stream, would you use us to rescue others from the eternal fires of hell? This is a good thing. It is a hard thing but it is a good thing. 
Oh, Lord Jesus, we love you. We revere you. We worship you. We commit to not only exalt your name in this place, but through our words and deeds each and every day to declare you as our Redeemer and the Savior of the world. In your name we pray and praise today. Amen.
And I hope you know, dear ones, that you are part of that work that God is trying to do and accomplish all the way to the glorious day that we look forward to. You are part of that work. And next week and the week after, we will be looking at the glorious strategy, the winning strategy that God gives us to contend for the faith. I know the last two weeks have been hard and they're discouraging and they're even frightening, but we don't live with a spirit of fear. We have the Holy Spirit that we've just sung about who has equipped us and prepared us to do his work all the way to the end. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forevermore. Amen.